sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee. Today's guest on the Tales of Tennessee podcast is music industry royalty. He is a two-time CMA award-winning producer who is the absolute cream of the BBC producing crop. His knowledge of music spans decades and he has worked with more stars than I've had hot dinners. He is BBC Radio 2 producer Mark Hagen. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Georgie, how are you doing? You all right? Yeah, very good. Thank you. So I'm absolutely intrigued, Mark. How did you get involved in producing in into the sort of music industry? in in as a whole was it music that started started it or was it the more technical kind of production side it, it was the music really when I, when I was at um at university in Stirling in Scotland in the late 70s um they had a radio station so I you know, they thought well, this would be fun and you know essentially they let anybody do it really yeah um so I went up and I presented shows on that uh, and when I graduated I, I did a lot of music related work at the university as well but I was a promoter and all that sort of thing um and then when I went to I, I moved from Stirling to Edinburgh when I graduated and I met somebody at a party <laughs> who worked for Radio 4 which was the local radio station still is the local radio station there um and, they, and we got chatting she produced the the book show and she said oh, I've got all these books on music and we haven't got anybody to review them I said oh, I'll do that if you like yeah sensing an opportunity for free books which is always yeah. good and um i went along and because i'd i'd done radio i knew how it worked so it wasn't any trouble to anybody you know i knew how to work a microphone and that sort of thing and so when you aren't any trouble to anybody you tend to get more opportunities if you can look after yourself a bit so i just started doing more and more work on radio Forth, and eventually they took me on as a as a presenter because they needed a young person's magazine program and yeah. I was the only young person in the building. Lovely. <laughs> so you just stick your elbows out, really. What what type of music was it initially that kind of piqued your interest? Oh, well, it was loads of stuff. Really. I've always been a big music fan, you know, since my sort of early teens, really. And I used to kind of like everything. Um, I mean, at that particular point, we'd just been through the punk era, you know, and I was in a punk band out of a certain reputation in central Scotland and all that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, I was also a country fan at that point, and I liked all sorts of things, really. Uh, and and it, it sort of ebbed and flowed. You know, some types would come to the fore, and some types would retreat. And what did you do in your punk band? Were you singer, singer. guitarist, singer? Yeah, I'm a terrible singer, and at no other era in music history could I ever have been in a band. <laughs> <laughs> I'd love to know if there's any if there's any footage of that anywhere no there is, there is an album there's a, we're, on, we're on a cd compilation album which was put out in america Amazing. weirdly uh called aesthetics Love <laughs> it. But, you know, every now and again you know once every 10 years ago somebody will stop me and go didn't you used to be in that band yeah <laughs> I can go, yeah brilliant so obviously you've then moved kind of from a presenter into the more production side of it was that intentional or is that just how it's naturally progressed it's just it's just the way it, it progressed really I mean I was I was presenting my own program Radio Forth and I was also producing other people's programs hmm. I always did that um and actually what happened was I moved into TV okay uh, for the BBC in Glasgow and that was in in the production capacity rather than a, a presenting so I used to keep the radio up on the side as a presenter and then just 
drifted over into TV, really. And can you talk to us a little bit about what actually, as a producer, entails? What does a what does a producer do? What's the difference between a producer and an editor? Well, it 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 slightly depends on on what you're doing. You know, there there are different roles in different in different types of programming, but basically in radio and TV terms, unlike film, you need to leave film out of this. A, a producer in, on a radio programme or a TV programme is essentially in charge of everything. You know, they, they are responsible for the editorial concept and, you know, the, the, the content of the programme. And the director, if it's TV, is the person who executes that. Okay, and so... That with, vision happens, if you like. With the BBC, for example, there's... Um, you've obviously got editors as well so how who kind of who actually calls the shots in terms of the content or again is that sort of does that differentiate between each program differentiates really I mean the one way of looking at it is to think of and again an editor in television terms is somebody who physically edits the programs yeah you know whereas an editor in radio terms is somebody who has who, who kind of produces the producers if you like okay the best way of looking at or the, you know, they the, the conduit between us and the management, if you like. So I guess it's obviously quite important that you have a good relationship with with the editor as well as the presenter. So you're all kind of reading from the same hymn book, so to speak. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, we're very lucky at Radio Two in that, you know, it's a very agreeable place to to work because it's not very political mm. in, in, with a small p. You know, we're all without wishing to blow our own trumpets, we're all very good at what we do. Uh, we know what we're doing. And so it works relatively smoothly. And we are all sort of on the same hymn sheet. Uh, and it, yeah, yeah. And, and really the, the editor's almost there as a casting vote. Okay. If you like, you know, if you're not quite sure about something, you'll ask the editor. And it's like a, quite recently um, when the Morgan Wallen incident blew up. I wasn't quite sure how we should approach that. So that's the sort of situation where you go and talk to your editor. Yeah. It's almost, almost like a sounding board. What should we do? Do we need to address it or not? You know, and that comes up in all sorts of, of areas, really. And and what what was the answer? What what were your thoughts? Were you both on the same page with that? Or did you, you know, one of you go, oh, actually, yeah, I think that's better. Pretty much, really, in that, um, I mean, as it, as it happened, th- that incident happened sort of at the end of the cycle for Radio 2 for Morgan. You know, the, the album had just been Radio 2's album of the week. It had just literally just come off the playlist. So in a sense, you didn't have to make any decision. Yeah. Because you, you probably wouldn't have been playing his record anyway. Yeah. Um, but we chose not to talk about it on air because it's such a complicated issue. Yeah. Um, and also at the moment, because of the, the COVID restrictions, the programme goes out on a Thursday evening, Bob records it on a Tuesday evening. Right. And so with, with a situation like that where things are changing all the time, you, mm. you can't really make comments. And I think you're dead right. That's such a um, whole huge and, and, bag of worms. Yeah. And, and, you know, anything could come out in between you saying something and, and the programme going out, you know. And also, it's not our job, actually, to editorialise on that. So it's our job to editorialise on the music, but not on anything around it, really. Yeah. So obviously on the Bob Harris show, you you play a huge mixture of of country music from different decades, from different kind of genres within the genre. Can you explain 
give us a definitive definition of the difference. I think I've done too many D's there between Americana and country music. No, nobody can. Short answer. Yeah. No, I mean you really can't. I mean it's part of me always thinks having having been around Nashville around about the time that the Americana Association first came into being. At that point, really, it was to it was to cover the music that mainstream country radio in America didn't play, mm. and that that covers an awful lot of things. So, in a sense, it was just you know it's like an alternative music station or alternative music federation, and that that you know it's it's a movable feast that one. It can hold a lot of different artists. I mean, you wouldn't have thought really looking at the Americana Awards over the years that you know Elvis Costello and Stephen Stills and Ry Cooder could all be in the same place, but but they are. So it's 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 not really music as such. I think it's just a, it's a, almost like a meeting place. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's just so lovely about country, and I'm going to in- include Americana in that is because there's yeah. so many different styles of of the same music that people that people love. You know, it's all telling a story, really building the picture of things but you can just have such huge variations in actually what it's what the final product sounds like but i think that's brilliant because it just appeals to such a wide a wide audience yeah i, I mean years and years ago i think one of the first times i met emily harris i was took her down and i said well, what actually is country music emmy and she says whatever i say it is yeah like, okay that's i you know that's a good definition you know emily yeah. harris says it's a country record it's a country record <laughs> Yeah. I mean, one of Bob's great skills as well on the Radio 2 show is that we are charged as part of the BBC remit to cover as many different types of country music as we can, you know, preferably in the same programme. So Bob <laughs> would be able to move it from, you know, a Kane Brown or a Jimmy Allen record to a Ralph Stanley record, mm. to a Mary Chapin Carpenter record, to a Florida Georgia Line record. Yeah. And making it all into a whole. Yeah. It's very interesting that that it is what it what I say it is thing because especially now everything's or there's a lot of cross crossovers between pop and country and I think it's such a blurred line it could be it could be either and I think it is very much a whoever the artist or the label or what have you want to tap into at that particular time yeah we'll we'll tick that box that's um that's a country song and actually if it had been the same song the next year or what have you it might have just been a pop song so I think that's that's really interesting is Casey Musgrove a country artist now? Is Maren Morris one? Mm. It's quite hard to tell. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I mean, one of the things I would say is when, when the, the whole Sam Hunt thing started to blow up, people <laughs> going, he's really not a country artist. And I said, if you just listen to the words, he, he's singing country lyrics. He's just singing them not in a country style. You know, and, and it's some of it is arrangement. You yeah. know, and a lot of it is evolution. You absolutely. know, the country music has always changed. We've just done, um, so I've just started presenting this really small show on on Radio Chelmsford. um, And one of the other presenters presents the Saturday Night Takeover. And it's very much rap and hip hop. And we've actually just done a song swap. And I've sent him a couple of country songs that have actually fit really well into his DJ set. Although they are technically country songs. So I think, you know, it's great that it is so versatile, I guess. I guess that's the word. Well, it's been it's always been a melting pot, yeah. really. And if you start digging around in the in the origins of it, you know, the Jimmy Rogers and Hank Williams and people like that were all influenced by black blues. 
Yeah. You know, I, I think I might say that Hank Williams next play guitar from, from a black friend. Yeah. So those those kind of things always collect in those different styles. Yeah. And I think over and here sometimes they get so different. And over here, the audience I think is very much like that. I mean, looking at the fest the audience at festivals at C to C at at Tennessee Fields, at Buckle and Boots, wherever, there's such a huge variety of people and they're all there because of the, their love of that music and there's something different within the music that appeals to each of them and so I think it is very much a melting pot of of audience members as well as yes, musical genres yeah and generational as well yeah absolutely. you see so many families yeah at country shows well you used to I mean you know 20 years ago it was just it was just old people yeah, you know, relatively speaking, you know that the, the whole younger influx into country in the UK is a really interesting thing. I mean, it's never yeah, it's never been like that in the states. It's always been a young audience. Yeah, the concept that a country boy band could exist and actually be successful. Yeah, you know, it's quite a thing. And I mean, we, you've you've just touched on the UK country scene. What are your what are your thoughts on that now? I mean, do you have a particular sort of rising star that you're keeping your eyes your eyes on how do you think that's changed over the last five years and how can you see it changing over the next five years well I think people have got a lot better I mean part of that is technology you know the, the better the technology you, you can have almost in your own bedroom the better the records are going to be one of one of the problems with the UK country has always been there aren't really any producers in the UK who were good at it or, or there weren't and so you know, you, the UK country act, could make a record, quite a decent song. As soon as you played it next next to a record from Nashville, it sounded worse, because it's sonically. You know, yeah. It just doesn't sound as good. And that's not the case now, really. I mean, I remember when we first heard the Shires. Mm. We're like, yeah, can you hear that on US country radio? Not a problem at all. That would just fit right in next to everything else. Yeah. Uh, and just because more people are interested now. You know, and you see people like Jade Halliwell and, and Kezia Gill. Kezia, I love, I think she's a fantastic yeah. talent. Um, I think, you know, of the current crop of people, I think she's the one that could yeah. do it. Yeah, absolutely. She's she's signed up for Tennessee Fields in July. So, oh, well, there you go. Uh, yeah, very yeah, excited. It would be great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that sort of thing would be, you know, Sarah Jory, bless her, you know, has played for decades mm. without really achieving the sort of success that she should have been able to because the mechanism wasn't there for it to do it. I mean, she made, yeah, made, a, made a living out of it. But, you know, she couldn't have been, ever been in the position that Kezia is. She couldn't have been playlisted on Radio 2 yeah. 20 years ago. Yeah. And, I mean, do you think, obviously, this last year, digital has just been the only way to, the only way to go and all these live streams and what have you. Can you see that actually changing the face of not just UK country, but music as a, as a whole sort of moving forward? Well, it could do. I mean, it, it, you know, it's, it's sort of nobody knows really, do they? It's all, you know, it depends on regulations and things. What has made it a lot easier is that people have suddenly thought, oh, we can, because up to now, you'd have to wait almost for the US artist to come. You know, if you have a showcase for the media and the press and everybody, you know, artists got to be in the country. Not the case anymore. Mm. You can quite successfully do little Zoom gigs and streams that work very well. Yeah. Um, and you can get people, you know, a wide range of people to see these things. Mm. I was talking to, weirdly, the only American I've seen in the last year is Ruthie Collins. Yeah. Who I think turned up accidentally in the UK almost. For their country <laughs> in the afternoon gig, yeah. 
oh, 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 well, I'll stay here. <laughs> so yeah. we to her about it in a socially distant way. Um, and she was saying that she's been doing these these live streams on a regular basis. And it's actually been a complete lifesaver for her. Firstly, she's expanded her audience quite a lot. She's made reasonable amount of money out of it because she's discovered that people are actually willing to pay for it. You know, having pre, you know, having not in the past, really. Yeah. And she operates a system, I believe, where you, you pay what you want to. Yeah. And she said she's discovered people are very generous. Yeah. And, and she said the other thing is that she's discovered that she knows her audience a lot better than she used to because yeah. she's got a closer contact with them. You know, she can, she, I think she has a meet and greet scheme as well where you pay a couple of extra dollars and get to chat to her for a while. And so she's building up a little community, actually quite a big community now. Which we probably wouldn't have been able to do in the in pre-COVID days. Absolutely. So I think people are willing to make allowances. Yeah, well, I know Jade and Kezia both do weekly virtual gigs, and they've both sort of built up a really good audience. Um, I think Jade's is on a Thursday night, Kez is on a on a Friday night, and like you say, they've got a really good community. And they've all bonded within themselves as well, and they're all friends now. And they sort of they turn up and they they've all got their in jokes and everything. And it is a real social thing when we're not actually able to get out and and do stuff. And we uh, I'm on the board of the BCMA, and we've started doing some lockdown socials just on a Saturday night, just for something for people to do really, especially people if they're sitting at home on their own, they come onto the social. We we always have a, um, a few artists who play one maybe two songs each. But we're getting people from the States, from Germany, from Sweden, from all over, because it's obviously so much more accessible now than it was before, which is great. And again, it's all working towards building the popularity of, of the genre and, and of UK country specifically. So that's been that's been really great. So this this podcast, obviously, we're wanting to know the story sort of behind the music industry, but also about Nashville and Tennessee as a whole. So when did you first go to Nashville? And was it was it work or pleasure? Oh, it was work. <laughs> I went. I, I worked for BH1 when BH1 was running. I was yep. the director of programming there in the early nineties, and um, we decided we should have we should do country music because nobody else was doing it at that point. Um, and we had a country program, and I was dis- dispatched to Nashville in February nineteen ninety five. I think it was. Um, and it was the most astonishing thing. It was nothing like what I expected it to be. Mm. Um, I didn't really know. I thought I knew about country music, and I discovered I didn't actually when I got there. And it was the most astonishing. It was the most surreal experience. I, I rolled up on the first on the Saturday night, first night day I was there, jet lagged, quite excited, <laughs> not really knowing what was going on. Um, I walked, and it was misty. And I walked. I went to dinner with some people I've never met before. I walked out of the restaurant, bumped it, literally bumped into Waylon Jennings. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh, this is really interesting. <laughs> and it, this is, you know, nobody thought anything of this. And you eventually realise actually that's the sort of town it was at that point, which it was, you know, significantly smaller. Yeah. And it's significantly more village like. But it was full of these fantastic musicians everywhere. And once you got your head around that, then you discovered it was almost like a whole world to, to explore and why do you why do you think that is why you know, do you I, think I've it's never got such a magnetism i'm not sure i think it's just well i mean there is no there's no side to it you know it's it's a very honest music people will be very welcoming to you it, it's all there in front of you you know you don't actually have to be wearing the right hat or anything like that 
yeah. to, to get into the country family. So it's but it's very inclusive like that. And it's very, you know, it's not complicated. It can be complicated, but basically it's very simple. Mm. You know, it deals with simple emotions told in a simple way. And that's not to say it's stupid or easy or anything. It's, it's just very clear cut. And I, I was very lucky the first time I went, I met somebody, a guy called um, Jim Sherarden, who used to run Hatch Showprint in Nashville, which is the 19th century letterpress that the, the CMA own now, not the CMA, the Country Music Foundation own now. And because Jim at that point was making posters for everybody in town, he knew everybody in town and he knew where to go. And so I just got taken out of the, the tourist circle of bars on Lower Broadway and taken to other places where you would literally go in and Vince Gill would be at the bar and you could sit and chat to Vince. Mm. Or, you know, I met Dolly Parton in the supermarket once. You know, that's once you dropped out of the main tourist thing, the town was small enough to meet all these people. And because it was, it's full of musicians, yeah. nobody thinks anything of it. You know, yeah. it's, it's just an ordinary thing. It must have changed hugely between then and, and now. And for example, when you go over for the CMA Awards, it's just there's so much glitz, there's so much glamour. Everybody's there for a good time. Um, you sort of come out and you're on Broadway and it's absolutely heaving and there's music coming from all of these different different places. I'm assuming there's a huge difference to how it was back then in 1995. Yeah, I mean, for people who haven't been to Nashville the, the, the downtown area if you, if you just define that as being lower Broadway yeah. which I guess is about you know, 15 20 city blocks mostly of bars <laughs> and, and other places when I first went to Nashville that place was was really just bordering on dodgy you right. know it was full of a lot of pawn shops and things like this a lot of homeless people you didn't really want to go into the bars. it wasn't very crowded and and I say that was 90s uh, still fun but it was very different and now you go down there and you know the country music hall of fame is there there's a huge hilton hotel there's the new um museum of african-american culture which opened a couple of weeks ago there's the, the hockey stadium the conference center none of that was there <laughs> when i first went there it, in that sense it's completely unrecognizable and actually i mean the whole town is is getting that way I mean, certainly the amount of building that's been going on the last five years. I, I habitually go in June for Music Fest and in November for the awards. So it's at least twice a year. Yeah. And at the moment, I'll often find them slightly lost because they knocked down a landmark that I used to navigate by. <laughs> that sort of thing. Are you still able to enjoy it? I mean, you've been going for a lot of years now. It, it is work for you, but are you still able to get the enjoyment from being over there and being immersed in all of that music, that live music as well? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it's I, I tend not to go to Broadway now mm. because it, it, the, the, the focus has slightly shifted. But, you know, when I first went to Nashville, the bands in those bars were just bands who were playing their own stuff and were also playing stuff for dancing. And, you know, we're, if you like, original quote-unquote musicians what they are now are bands who are playing for the tourist crowds mm. so it's just, it's just the hits so from my point of view there's no point in going there because you're not going to see anything you don't you don't already know but yeah there's loads of things you know you just you just fan out a little bit further from the, the center of town there's a marvelous night on the american american legion 81 has a thing called honky tonk tuesdays yeah and the american legions are like a working man's club basically for, for veterans of other people. And, and it's, uh, you know, 
it's a bar with terrible beer and awful food and the most fantastic music. It's about a 20 minute cab ride out of the centre of Nashville. And every Tuesday, anybody could, could turn up there. Yeah. When I, I went, last time I went there, last time I went to Nashville, JD McPherson was playing, uh, Emmy Lou Harris was in the audience, Rodney Crowell was in the audience. And it feels like the Nashville of, of the mid 90s. Partly mm. because it's a lot of the same people <laughs> moved across. You know? Yeah. What people kind of forget about Nashville is it's not just country music. Mm. You know, there's there's a big R and B scene in Nashville. There's a big there's a you know there's a hip hop scene. There's a rock scene. There's a ton of other things as well. And that that's actually quite that's much more hidden than the countryside of things. Yeah. You know, you really have to know where to go to find a way. It's there. Well, yeah. I... I wouldn't know where to go to sort of go to an R&B night or something in Nashville. And I think on this series, you're the first person that's actually flagged that. And I think that's really interesting. And again, perhaps that's in integral in some way to the development of country music into all these other genres and the, the crossovers and, and what have you. I think it's, it is great that there's all of these different influences in, in one place and it isn't just, just country music. Oh yeah, I mean if you if you dig into it a bit, I mean Jimi Hendrix first started playing in Nashville. You know, mm. did a lot of his apprenticeship in the in the clubs in uh, I can't remember the name of the road now. It'll come to me in a minute. But there's a there's a deep history of all that sort of things of thriving, you know, R and B and soul and blues circuit mm. all around Nashville. Yeah. And there's tons of tons of great R and B and blues records made in Nashville as well, because of course the studio has always been there. Yeah. So you know, there's always been great technical facilities so that in itself draws all sorts of musicians yeah and I think that's um sort of music row and where where the studios are and that's just like otherworldly it seems so surreal because they are just looking like little houses that you're driving past and all of a sudden yeah that's where Elvis Costello did a recorded something or I I don't know whatever it might be and you just think it's somebody's house on the side of the road and it has this huge history behind it Yeah. yeah If somebody who's never been to Nashville before, doesn't know anything about it, came to you and said, OK, I'm going, I've got five days in Nashville. What would you recommend? Where where should I go? Wow. I, my first question is always, where are you staying? <laughs> because that has, a, that has a bearing on how, where you can get to, to things from. The, the, the thing I always say to people is if you're in town on a Monday night, you have to go and see the Time Jumpers at Thurnd and Lindsley, which is a, a downtown club. The Time Jumpers are the most fantastic band. They're a Western swing kind of traditional country act. Um, that Vince often appears with. Um, and they're just great. I mean, they, it's the best bar band in the world. And that will give you a proper taste of old time Asheville. If you, you know, it's not pop music. It's not crossover, straightforward, twangy country music. And that's great. And, and it'll be a local crowd. It won't be the the um the tourists particularly. Yeah. Uh, it's difficult to get tickets for, but <laughs> and then you have to go to the Grand Old Opry. Yeah. Just because. Yeah. My tip for that one is if you have the funds, go for the the deluxe version of it. Um, because there is a version of the opry ticket which gives you a backstage tour of, of the building itself. And you also get to sit on the stage during the broadcast. Oh wow. <laughs> which That's is amazing. fantastic. Yeah. And that that is going up to the opera in itself is is a fantastic thing, particularly if you are in that backstage area. Because although everybody has dressing rooms, they don't really. They, they just drift around really in that everybody's room chatting. Because everybody knows each other. Yeah. You know, everybody lives in the same area, and so it's like it's a meeting of friends. You never know who's going to turn up. You know, you apart from the, the build artists, you know, it's not 
out of the question that Garth Brooks and Shia would turn up and do a couple of songs. And that's why we, and you have to see it just because it is such a it's such a part of Nashville history, really. Likewise, you have to go to the Hall of Fame. Yeah. And you have to go around that. You should also go to the Musicians Hall of Fame, which is a, a slightly different beast. And it, it celebrates, as the name suggests, the music, you know, the actual musicians as opposed to stars, quote unquote, or the singers. And that's that's downtown as well. That is the, the head of that place, a gentleman called um, Jay McDowell, who is a stand-up bass player, he used to be the bass player in a band called BR549, who were fantastic and still are if you find their records. And they have so many interesting things over there. There's also it's it's part of the Grammy organization. And so it takes it takes a wide look. It's not just country music. Mm-hmm. You go in there and there are original instruments from the Stack Studios in Memphis and Sam Phillips equipment from Sun in Memphis. And there's the piano that you know Floyd Kramer played on last date and things like that. And it's that's real geeky stuff, but that's yeah. great as well. In in conjunction with the Country Music Hall of Fame, which is a more beautiful mainstream thing but that'll give you the story if you don't know the story of country music that'll give you that yeah and then the thing i'm very excited to which i haven't seen yet as i say it's literally only just opened is the the museum of african-american culture which is directly opposite of country music hall of fame and by the looks of it looks absolutely fantastic yeah yeah i see that's been tipped as um was it time out or one of the big you know the top 10 destinations in the whole of america i think included that uh the the new museum in nashville yeah yeah as well so that's really exciting i can't wait to go and see that actually great and then there's so many great places to eat now i mean i'm hesitant to give give recommendations because there'll be another one now yeah or it'll you know the, the one place i really like that again if you're in downtown nashville the woolworths building which used to be a Woolworths, as we used to know them, and is now a restaurant. And that's great. It's a, it's a very kind of basic decor. And, yeah, it's a sort of hamburger and meat and three sort of restaurant. It's really good and it's yeah. cheap and it's, and it's handy. Yeah. Um, um, you can pay a lot of money in Nashville for food if you're not careful. Yeah. And what about slightly further afield from Nashville? Do you ever get a chance to, to go to Franklin or, you know, further afield in Tennessee in general? Not really, because generally when I'm there, I'm working and, and I'm not often there when I'm not, as it yeah. were. So, you know, I will sometimes take, a, if I go to Nashville, I'll stay for three or four days afterwards. Yeah. Partly just going to so many people having been going for 25 years. You know, you need to catch up with them. Um, so I haven't been out. So I've been down the Natchez Trace a couple of times, which is a lovely drive, which you can go down that. It's it's a national park mm. um, and it's the it's one of the old... Uh, Native American trade routes. No, it's it's a road. And that takes you four or five hours to drive down that, and you get to Tupelo to where Elvis was born, which is well well worth seeing. Yeah. Um, And you can do a sort of um, an L shaped trip like that if you go down to Tupelo, see what they refer to as the birthplace, Mm. and then go across to Memphis. Yeah. And that's great. Um, Yeah, Memphis and Nashville are so different in, in almost every respect. Mm. Uh, they're worth seeing it's a very dull drive if you go from Nashville to a bunch of miles it's so rank (laughs) so just on an interstate and it's just like yeah and you always have your eyes out for police yeah absolutely but yeah you should go if you're there you should go to Memphis I went the first time I went to Nashville I went to Memphis just in case I was never in that part of the world again Mm. you know little did I know (laughs) but (laughs) 
there's, there's so many things there as well. There's sun and there's stacks and there's Graceland and all those things. And then, the, you know, the, the countryside just outside Nashville is lovely. Mm. You know, if you go east towards the, 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 the Smoky Mountains and those sort of places, those mm. are great. Um, and if you, you know, if you have a lot of time, I really recommend going down to the Mississippi Delta, which is about an hour's drive south of, of Memphis, because that is just so peculiar. Mm. You know, it has an ecosystem almost all of itself, and it is the most surreal landscape. And again, it's it's, it's packed with history. Yeah. You know, that's where so much of the music that we love came from, literally. Yeah. You know, yeah. you, you can stand on the spot where Muddy Waters lived. Mm. And actually, you can stand on the spot where, where Billy Joe McAllister threw something off the Tallahatchie Bridge. <laughs> Ode to Billy Joe. And then it's just, there is an astonishing piece of road. There's a, a very small town called Money in Mississippi. Uh, and by small, I mean maybe half a dozen houses. And in a one mile stretch of it, you can go past the, the graveyard where Robert Johnson, the great blues man, is buried. The actual Tallahatchie Bridge that Bobby Dentry was, was singing about. Right next to that bridge is the ruins of the grocery store where Emmett Till, who was a 14 year old black kid, uh, allegedly flirted with a white woman and was taken out and lynched and killed and was the, was the start really of the civil rights movement. It was such a such a horrific crime. Mm. And that's within a mile on the same piece of road. And that's that's kind of humbling history in a way. Yeah, absolutely. I think. It is just, it's so fascinating because it is just so different to over here as well. Yet you've got some huge similarities, but then such enormous differences. And like you say, you can have such different experiences in such a short space of time and such a short distance between each other. Um, So I think um, absolutely on my bucket list is just being out there to do a road trip around Memphis, Mississippi, Tennessee, and seeing all those other places that you wouldn't necessarily go um, as a particular destination themselves. No, no. I mean, and if, if, you know, Nashville in itself is a great destination, yeah. but you will only find out about Nashville. And it is a very different place to the yeah. rest of Tennessee. Yeah. You know, so, it's, and it always has been. You, know, it's, you mentioned, um, obviously, heading towards the, the Smoky Mountains, Dolly Parton it's gonna we're gonna have to talk about Dolly Parton um if we're talking about Smoky Mountains obviously you've you've worked with her you said you bumped into her in the in the supermarket I mean that's that's amazing is she as lovely as she seems to be oh absolutely yeah the 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 caveat to that is that she is never not Dolly yeah you know she's every when she's out of the house she's she's on Mm. you know I, I spent I did a documentary with her oh probably 15 20 years ago now i spent a lot of time with her and i never at any point saw her not being dolly Parton. yeah you know there's not even a hint of it yeah. <laughs> you know yeah. she had a sound check wig she had a walking from the bus to the sound check wig <laughs> it was always a costume of some sort and she's quite a hard person to interview mm. because she will she's just got such great lines all the time yeah and, and she's she's very very clever yeah. You know, she she goes into anything knowing what she wants from it and yeah. she's very hard to deflect from that yeah I mean you you've know. worked with which is not a criticism you know she she is fantastic oh she's a, she's a legend and I think the the very fact that still in her 70s she's still as still this popular if not more popular than she's ever been before and she's had such a huge career 
before this and she's still going I mean she must be so astute and such a businesswoman as well as being so unbelievably talented as as well and and at the same time she's that she's the, the best of the business women if you like you know she there is the there's the library that she runs where all those mm. kids get free books yeah you know the donation she made to Vanderbilt to enable the, the coronavirus vaccine yeah. to be made you know she she which is like country music in it in a lot of ways you know she is a very solid businesswoman but she she has a community heart mm. you know she yeah. she knows what she has to do in a commercial sense but she knows also she's got to spread it around yeah and that nothing works if you don't do that yeah as as are many other thousands of people I'm a huge Dolly fan and just think everybody should be a little bit more Dolly in their life oh, absolutely, I think. Yes. what would Dolly do always a useful absolutely phrase. Absolutely. Um, so as well as Dolly, you've obviously worked with some other huge artists, you know, Rolling Stones, Bruce Springsteen. Who who really sticks out in your mind as being your absolute favourite interview or favourite person to work with or to produce? Um, or was the was the one project that really kind of ticked all of all of the boxes for you? It depends. I mean, the, the way the business works is that you tend to, to work with people quite intensively for a while. And then you don't work with them for ten years. You know, you, you you fall in and out of things. Um, I'm I work with with Bruce Springsteen for quite regularly for about twelve years, um, and I still work with him occasionally, but not as much as I used to. And he's he is great. I mean that that he is all you would hope he would be, really. But the, you know they don't suffer fools gladly, no. and that's all we fun. And I, yeah, having been a Bruce fan since I was you know. 12 or 13 that was quite difficult to begin with <laughs> you yeah. know, not to kind of gush <laughs> yeah. yeah and the same you I mean part of the thing with this is that you just have to remember they're all just people and they've got a different skill set to you mm-hmm. and that's all and you know the worst thing you can do I've always got a reasonably well with Paul McCartney through of never asking him anything about the Beatles yeah so you know we talk about Elvis mostly mm. And that's always fun. And they, and then, of course, he does tell you about the Beatles, whether you want to know or not. <laughs> it's, but, yeah, the, the, those people are always fun. But it's not always the, the big stars, really. Mm. I mean, sometimes I did a radio series oh, a couple of years ago now for the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's assassination. Mm. And we went. The, the reason Martin Luther King was assassinated in Memphis was because he went to Memphis to support the sanitation workers who were on strike at the time. Mm. And nobody had really spoken to the sanitation workers. So I spent a couple of years on and off. Every time I was in that area, I'd go to Memphis and interview a few more people. And that was the, one of the most astonishing things I've ever done. Just talking to those incredibly dignified people who were literally treated like dirt. Mm. And who came through it. And, and that was a great story. And you felt actually you were doing something quite useful there. Yeah. You know, rather than going, hey, your new record's great. <laughs> you, you were kind of uncovering a piece of history that hadn't necessarily come out before. Yeah. And, you know, it was a good story, but which was also important. Meaningful, yeah. And is there anyone, or you might not be able to say, who you really have struggled to work with, whether it's just differences of opinions or they've been particularly awkward? No, not really, because generally speaking, it's not in their interest to be like that mm. by, the, by the time they get to me. You know, I'm, I'm the person who's going to present them to the world and they don't really want to, you know, you want the best version of yourself. Yeah. 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 And that actually sort of is our job, is what, what all of us do really, is, is to make the frame for people. 
Mm. You know, I don't have any particular musical talent or anything like that, but I, I know how to show off a musical talent to its best advantage. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and that's sort of what we do. So people generally are, are pretty cooperative. And if they're not, it's generally because, you know, they're tired or, or something. It, it, it's, it's very rarely to do with you. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's we've um absolutely <laughs> have having worked with um various larger artists like ub40 and simply red and, and people like that sort of just doing promotion um the difference in it in those i guess huge in the in the terms of the uk artists and then the same season we put on a show with the shires who are sort of who were just sort of starting out as must have been 2016 or 2017 um just the difference in their willingness to do stuff um and to meet people and I mean the Shires did an absolutely brilliant meet and greet and there were six people and they did a little acoustic set for them and yet I can't remember if it was Mick Hucknall or or Duncan Campbell I I can't remember which one you know was making a fuss because one of the waitresses would be able to see into his tour bus and it was the same waitress that was actually going to be serving him anyway and you just think it's just a, a kind of different a different life from the start of the the journey to the end but actually they are still just just people and I'm sure if you actually sat down and had the one-to-one with them they'd be absolutely absolutely yeah. lovely. Well, the other thing you've got to bear in mind with this in country music particularly that's sort of the job yeah you know they, they do regard it very much as a as a job you know it's not oh I am a struggling artist or I'm you know I'm here to work you know, and they're you know they're sort of trained in it. What they used to do, one of the things they used to do, if you were a little baby artist, you got signed to a major label. First thing they did was sent you to every radio station in America that played country music in person. Mm. Well, quite a lot of those. Apparently, it took yeah. about two years to get round all of them. <laughs> but you you had to make a personal connection. You had to have a network that you had to build up yourself. Yeah. You know, and that's the that's the thing. If you watch the the Ken Burns country series, it's very yes. good on this. You know, I think in the, uh, the last episode or the next to last one where they talk about the relationship between country music performers and country music fans and there really isn't that much of a difference again Mm -hmm. except one's got a different skill set and that's just driven that that's just a part of the culture yeah is there anybody that you haven't worked with yet who is on your hit list who you would like to work with not really (laughs) i mean i'm sort of sort of have done everybody yeah. I, would, I would like to work with David Hockney the artist I've, yeah. I've never met Hockney and I did the most marvellous work he does but I think again I think it might be a bit late for that to work with him because he's you know well. he's not he's not in that sort of mode I don't think anymore music you know I'm so I'm sorry I never met Johnny Cash yeah that would be fun. It would be one of those things where and here's another lesson for you it's like don't assume there'll be a next time yeah I always I never went to see Johnny Cash I always assumed I could see him oh. next time and then yeah. suddenly there wasn't one. There wasn't. And, it's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. and so, and do you have, um, from all of your visits over to Nashville, um, and I guess there haven't probably been any recently, but who would, would you have a particular young US artist to watch? Oh, well, this week's one. Yeah. <laughs> There's a girl called Britney Spencer who's got a four track EP out called Compassion. And that's all she's recorded. Um, she's come in from Baltimore, and she she sounds like she's going to be great. I think mm. just based on those those four tracks, you know, yeah. she she's got a, a kind of gospely country sound. Yeah, and 
And if you are heading off on a road trip to go down to Memphis or wherever it might be, do you have a particular kind of go-to country music road trip song? Song? Oh, well, well, it depends which way I'm going. (laughs) There's a fantastic moment. If you're listening to the radio and you're driving from Memphis to Nashville, um, depending which way you go, let's let's say you're going from Memphis to Nashville. There's a moment where you can't get the gospel and the R&B stations on the radio anymore. All you can get is country stations. (laughs) It just, it crosses over. That's always fun. No, if if I'm on the road like that, I do like to listen to the radio stations. Yeah. Because you you pick up the, the local thing and... Yeah. There might be something you never heard of before. Yeah. And it's just fun. So it's yeah, I would rather listen to something that I've not heard before. Mm. I I interviewed uh, um Todd Thomas uh, for this podcast as well, and he was saying that wherever he's driving, he likes to try and find some local artists, local country artists, wherever he's driving to and from. So as he's sort of driving through their their hometown or their their state, he can listen to their their music because there's so much of their their life and their upbringing that comes out in their music that he likes to kind of put it together with where with where he is and I think that's a really great idea um I'm definitely going to do that I think that works and I think if you listen to to a music where it was made it sounds different Mm. you know and it it, it, I was used to think I spent a lot of time in Scotland big country was sounding much better in Scotland than anywhere else yeah (laughs) yeah conversely the proclaimers sound better outside of Scotland than they do but that's about (laughs) That's 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 another thing. But no, I think there's a lot to be said for being for listening to a record in the environment that it was made. Yeah. You know, absolutely. it comes to life in in different ways. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think I've come to the end of all my questions, Mark. Thank you so much for giving me so much of your time. It's very no much problem. appreciated. Yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast. No problem. Thank you very much for having me. So today's post-production edits include Mark's recommendations of things to see and do in and around Nashville and Tennessee. He suggests, of course, the Opry and the Country Music Hall of Fame, but also, if you have time, heading over to the Musicians Hall of Fame, um, which has is not just country-related. It covers all genres of music. It sounds absolutely fascinating. And if you're in Nashville on a Monday night, he's, he recommends you should try and see the Time Jumpers Band, which is a good old country swing band. If you are looking for somewhere to eat in Nashville, head over to the old Woolworths building and that's very good value food um, and, you know, good hearty meals there. And if you've got a car and you can head a little bit further afield, he recommends heading over to the Natchez Trace Parkway. Um, And I have to say, I've looked at the pictures and they look absolutely beautiful. You have been listening to the Tales of Tennessee podcast with me, Georgie T. You can keep up to date with the podcast by following us at talesoftennessee.podbean.com or by following all of our social media channels for the Tennessee Fields Festival. The handle is at TNFieldsFest on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. You can also follow me, Georgie T, on Instagram at the underscore accidental underscore everything. We'd love to hear from you. So don't forget, you can email us at talesoftennessee at yahoo.com. And as always, thanks go to Francis and Archie Ween for providing the jingles for this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Sitting on the porch with Georgie T. Hearing tales of Tennessee.